We need that song, yes, with its prayer of come, spirit, come, to be sung following that scripture passage that I just read. We ended on the most horrific note. Not only has the Pharaoh become scared enough to enslave all the Hebrew people, he has become so scared of this baby boom among the Hebrews that he is asking the midwives to kill babies and asking anyone, just anyone, to throw Hebrew babies into the river. But now it's time for Moses to take that round-trip ride down the Nile and back home again. Listen for the familiar things and the foreign things in this story because this is one of those classic Sunday school stories. I'm sure that you heard it as a child growing up. Children can't resist this story of a baby on an adventure, a baby on a boat ride down the river. But now that we are older, we see differently and we hear with different ears and we listen anew. Let us hear God's presence unfold here as we watch for hope in this next half of the story. Now, a man from Levi's household married a Levite woman. The woman became pregnant and gave birth to a son, and she saw that the baby was healthy and beautiful, so she hid him for three months. When she couldn't hide him any longer, she took a reed basket and sealed it with black tar, and she put the child in the basket and set the basket among the reeds at the riverbank. The baby's older sister stood watch nearby to see what would happen to him. Pharaoh's daughter came down to bathe near the river, in the river, and while her servant woman and her servant women walked along beside the river, she saw this basket among the reeds, and she sent one of her servants to go bring it to her. When she opened it, she saw the child. The boy was crying, and she felt sorry for him. She said, this must be one of those Hebrew children. Then the baby's sister said to, Pharaoh, said, to, said to Pharaoh's daughter, the baby's sister who had been watching from afar, uh, said to Pharaoh's daughter, would you like me to go and find one of the Hebrew women to nurse the child for you? So Pharaoh's daughter agreed, yes, do that. And the girl went to the child's mother. And the Pharaoh's daughter said to the child's mother, take this child and nurse it, and I'll pay you for your work. So the woman took the child and nursed him. And after the child had grown up, she had brought him back to the Pharaoh's daughter, who adopted him as her son. She named him Moses, because she said, I pulled him out of the water. Let us pray. Holy God, help us to see you through this story of Moses, and hear, help us to hear your call to live into your good news. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be holy and acceptable to you, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Birth stories are important. The more radical birth stories, of course, are the ones that stand out. I know a mother who was in labor for 44 hours, and another mother whose baby came so quickly they didn't even get out of the house and into the car before her baby had been born. One baby came in the middle of that storm, um, the storm of storms, that one that dropped 22 inches all at once, you remember it, right? Some babies come early, some take their sweet times, sometimes it's the dads that take their sweet time. One father I know, full of expectant nervousness, had to stop by the drive through to get a cheeseburger on the way to the hospital. 
His wife was not happy about that. Sometimes our lives are retold through the lens of our birth story. I know that my parents attribute some measure of red-headed stubbornness to the fact that when my mom went into labor, I was still facing the wrong direction. So, birth stories are important, and they frame your life story. They mark the beginning of a life, a creation of a family, the start of something new. There is hope and anticipation, a name that holds meaning, and a promise to care for the little bundle of life that is now in your arms. Moses' birth story is probably the most popular birth story in Scripture outside of Jesus' birth story, of course, the one that we hear every year. And really, Jesus' story, his birth story, and Moses' birth story have some semblance of similarity. The story of a baby whose life was threatened from the beginning, whose life was saved early on in Egypt, and whose life was complicated before he could even walk. Moses' birth story sets him apart It gives him a future that is decidedly different from any of the other Hebrew babies whose whose lives were equally threatened. Moses' birth story starts us wondering what might happen next for this child who was sent down the river in a basket and then brought back into the arms of his very own mother in this simple twist of fate. By way of dysfunctional family vacations, Moses' family life does have its own form of dysfunction, yes. His mother gives him up to this unknown future, sending him down the river. And then an Egyptian princess draws him out of the water and claims him as her own, adopting him without thought of the consequences that might come down upon her, her father being the pharaoh, of course. So Moses' wet nurse is his, actually his biological mother. His adopted mother is an Egyptian princess. And by extension, the pharaoh is his grandfather. Dysfunctional, indeed. By way of vacations, Moses' journey down the Nile is most certainly not that cruise ship that maybe you have taken. But Moses finds himself in an interesting watercraft nonetheless, That Hebrew word that is used to describe Moses' basket is the same word that you hear in the book of Genesis that describes Noah's ark. The ark for Noah was a place of safety in the chaos of natural disaster. And now for Moses, this mini baby-sized ark is a place of safety in the political chaos of oppression and slavery and infanticide. In this political chaos... Moses' survival is dependent upon a handful of women who deliberately break the rules. An interesting twist of fate, of course, for the man who ultimately establishes those Ten Commandments that our third graders memorized and those 613 other laws of Moses on the books in the Old Testament. The midwife... The midwives lie to Pharaoh, saying that those Hebrew women, oh, they just give birth so quickly, we can't even do anything about it. And then Moses' mother, she kind of superficially, right, follows Pharaoh's law that says that all the Hebrew babies have to be thrown in the Nile River. She doesn't throw him, so to speak. She gently places him there. But she, she kind of follows that rule that all the baby boys need to go into the Nile River. 
And finally, Pharaoh's daughter participates in that biggest act of rule-breaking, going against her father's rules, and not just letting this Hebrew baby live, but adopting him to herself and raising this baby under her own, under her father's roof, under the Pharaoh's roof. And should we not forget the saving act of Moses' sister, who secretly waits and watches as the princess pulls Moses, her brother, out from the water, and then just at the right moment, she offers this little key piece of advice. Oh, I know, I know a mother who could nurse that baby. And then shows the princess to the baby's mother. The pharaoh may not have known how active the women might be in foiling his plot when he twice said that the Hebrew baby girls could live. He must not have known the power of ancient Egyptian and Hebrew women. These women, the midwives and Moses' mother and Pharaoh's daughter and Moses' sister, all put a fine point on how drastically different today's lesson is from last week. The dysfunctional family vacation of Joseph and Moses are almost completely opposite. To start, unlike Joseph, who found a new life in Egypt when the promised land was only famine and starvation, Moses finds the dual horrors of murder and slavery in Egypt. And then you notice that Joseph's story is populated by men, by male characters, 12 brothers and their families. And Moses' story is almost exclusively female characters, except for Moses and Pharaoh. And then, unlike Joseph, who saves all of his brothers, he, Joseph is the one who does the saving because he's in a position of power in Egypt. It's Moses' sister that saves Moses even though she is most likely the character with the least amount of power in that whole story, being not just a child, but also a girl in a patriarchal culture and a person of the oppressed community. And finally, Joseph saves his people by bringing them into Egypt, and ultimately Moses later, as you know, will save his people by drawing them out of Egypt. The stark differences between Joseph and Moses drive home the point that much has changed in Egypt and a leader must emerge to bring about change. But the similarities, the similarities between these stories bring us back to the themes that resonate again and again throughout Scripture. In due time, Joseph is reunited with his family, as is Moses. The lost becomes found. In the end, Joseph, who was surely dead, was found to be alive, as is Moses. Life emerges even in the face of death. Joseph is once a slave, a man powerless to do anything to save himself, just like Moses, an infant in nothing but a small basket on the Nile River, is powerless to do anything to save himself. Our salvation does not come from our own power, but from God at work in our lives, in and through the people that God surrounds us with. And as Joseph and Moses grow up, they both become people of dual cultures, at once Hebrew and Egyptian, bicultural people whose very lives defy what it means to belong to one culture or another. God is at work not just in the lives of God's people, the Hebrews, but in those unexpected people who we might otherwise consider foreigners 
to the story of God's presence. Even Moses' name emphasizes his dual citizenship. His name can be translated in Egyptian to mean son, a name often found in the lineage of kings, both, um, both acknowledging that he was, uh, na- he was the son of a princess and also um, that he was her son in that moment. She claims him as her own when, he, when she names him. And at the same time, his name can be translated from the Hebrew to mean drawn out, meaning on the one hand that he was drawn out of the Nile River, but also that eventually he will draw his people out of Egypt, out of slavery, and into freedom. So Moses' birth story, his round-trip journey out of his house and back home again, being named and adopted and returned to his mother, this story, this tightly woven little tapestry that's been told for thousands of years, reminds us that God's plan for us does not quite unfold the way that we might expect. In God's plan, the good news is that the king's laws are broken. The good news is that the baby has two mothers. The good news is that cultures cross paths. The good news is that women with little or no power are empowered to save lives. The good news is that the baby is thrown into the Nile River by his mother. The good news is that the baby's sister trespasses in the Pharaoh's palace. The good news is that the Pharaoh's daughter disobeys her father. That's the good news. It's the upside-down good news of God's kingdom. And it's the same with Jesus, isn't it? A pastor told me recently about how she was talking to some children about Jesus. Jesus met this Samaritan woman, she told the kids. This woman at a well, a woman that Jesus was not supposed to talk to because it was against the law, the religious law. But Jesus was talking to her anyway. And a little boy with a worried look on his face raised his hand, very upset, and said, I, you can't. You can't be right. You've got to be wrong about this. Jesus never broke the rules, the child said. Jesus was good. He was a good man, the child pleaded. Everyone should follow him because he was good and he followed all the rules. He reminded the whole class that this was who Jesus was. But that's the thing about the good news of the gospel, right? It doesn't unfold in the way that the world might want it to unfold. Jesus upset the the status quo. He broke open the doors of injustice. He changed the way people saw the world. And and Moses' birth narrative is is the same. In fact, it, it it sets the scene for us to hear the story of Jesus in a different way. In Moses' story, God's presence shows up in the disobedient daughter, the powerless sister, the work of two culture-crossing mothers, and their dual hope for freedom from injustice in a land of slavery. So, that's the good news. So where are are we? Where are we in this complicated story of upside down? What does this mean for us? That's always the next question, isn't it? You read this story, and it's complicated, and it's big, and it's powerful, and it's interconnected. Maybe you've been Moses' mother, sending your child off into an unknown future, not knowing if you would see your child again. 
Maybe you've been Pharaoh's daughter who disobeyed her father for the sake of what was right. Maybe you've been Moses' sister, unable to keep silent, unable to stay away from the one that you love. Maybe you've been the midwives, told to do something unjust, violent even, by a person in power, but you had to lie a little bit not to have to do that thing that was unjust that somebody in power was telling you to do. Maybe you've been the Pharaoh's daughter having compassion for someone who was outside of your community, outside your family, outside of the world says is right about who it is that you can care for. Maybe you've been Moses' mother at the end of this story, facing some unexpected blessing and new life in the face of what you really thought was going to be the worst sorrow of your life. This is the story. This is the story of God's love. This is, the, this is the story of God's love, a God who knows that all is not right with the world. A God who knows that some laws are sometimes unjust, that sometimes the cultural walls are too high or too well kept. This is a God who knows that Power is sometimes maintained because of fear, by violence or oppression or slavery or death. The story of Moses' birth gives us a wide view of the way the world is, not just the way the world was. And it's up to us, the people of God today, to figure out what our role is in this wide hope of God's good news. As we say in our 8 a.m. worship service, In one of our prayers every week, we say this, every day is an opportunity to decide again that this day will be better than the past. How might you decide again that today will be better than the past, that God's upside-down good news might be for you? In this call to God's upside-down, subversive, disobedient good news, I will leave you with a benediction prayer. Jesus said, you ought always to pray and not to faint. Do not pray for easy lives. Pray to be stronger men and women. Do not pray for tasks equal to your powers, but for powers equal to your tasks. Then the doing of your work will be no miracle, but you will be the miracle. Every day you will wonder at yourself and the richness of life which has come to you by the grace of God.